welcome to Mission 150, the podcast that tells stories from 150 years of Seventh-day Adventist mission to the world. To find out more about the mission of the Adventist Church today, go to AdventistMission.org. That's AdventistMission.org. Today, we're joined by Dr. Laurel Guthrie, who is a physician at Loma Linda University. Laurel, welcome to Mission 150. Thank you for having me. Laurel, you are preparing for missionary work, but your desire to work for God outside of your comfort zone doesn't come out of nowhere. So please tell us a bit about your family background, perhaps about your great-grandparents, your grandparents, your uncle and aunt. I am very grateful to have the heritage of mission service in my family. It actually starts even before my great-grandfather with my great-great-grandfather. And he uh, was um, involved in mission work in Canada in the early days of missions in that region. When Canada, when Canada was the mission field. Yes, Canada was a mission field. Yes. Yes, uh, I understand he went around setting up a tent and holding meetings in that region. Now, his son uh, also was involved with mission work. And when he was old enough, he uh, was sent to Japan with his family to serve there. So this is your great grandparents. They were early missionaries to Japan. That's correct. What were their names? My great grandfather was named William Edward Guthrie. William Edward Guthrie. And so he must have been one of the first missionaries to Japan. Uh, It was certainly in the early days. It was around the time of World War II, and they actually ended up uh, having to move because of the war. They were sent to the Philippines, and uh, the war followed them there, and they ended up interned in a concentration camp during that time. Wow. And what happened to them? Uh, They were actually miraculously rescued from that camp days before they were all slated to be executed. So I'm very grateful for that rescue. I obviously wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. Yes, yes, indeed. So did they continue as missionaries or did they return to the United States at that point? Um, After the war was over, they did return to the United States. Uh, My grandfather also became involved with medical mission work. Uh, He served in Singapore for a while. At the Adventist hospital there? Yes, yes. So he was a missionary doctor as well? He was, yes. He was a surgeon, actually. And how long was he in Singapore, do you know? Uh, It was several years. The exact duration, I'm not certain. But he was there for a while? Yes. And I think your uncle and aunt also served as missionaries? That's correct. Um, My father and both of his brothers are physicians, and his oldest brother spent time in the Pacific region. They spent time uh, serving in Guam, he and his wife, and some of the Pacific islands as well. Right. Dr. Laura, as you are growing up, you've got the whole family uh, being missionary doctors somewhere in the world for so many decades. Uh, did you know this is what's going to happen to you too? Was that a choice uh, or, or did you grow up thinking you're going to be uh, follow an entirely different life path and all of a sudden you're back to this? What was it like growing up? Um, I have, I'm really blessed with wonderful parents who value mission in many different ways. They are very serving and giving people. And so that was incorporated in my life growing up. Uh, I was also surrounded by books that I could read about Adventist pioneers and uh, missionaries in the early part of the 1900s 
who started work in new places. And I was very inspired by those books. Um, additionally, my father as a physician took short-term trips internationally. So he would uh, share his skills with people in places that needed uh, specialist help. And I was uh, definitely inspired by that as well. Did you go on any mission trips growing up? Eventually, yes, my parents did take us on a couple of mission trips to Africa. So I was exposed actually to medicine in a low resource setting during that time and also got to see how different cultures live, uh, how different things can be in different places. And uh, I think I grew to appreciate the blessings that I've been given growing up in the family I did. Where did you go on your short term mission trips? Uh, we went a couple of different times to various countries in Africa. Uh, there were mission hospitals in Nigeria and a mission hospital in Rwanda that my dad helped to do some surgeries at at the time. Um, so it was a really good learning experience for us. Now, you are become a surgeon yourself. So do you feel like you're in the family business? <laughs> you know, people ask me about that when uh, I tell them about my family. And I tell them, you know, I couldn't think of anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that simple, though. I think God really opened doors and made it clear for me that this is where I was supposed to be. Now, when you were a student, you also, I think, had a mission experience as well. Is that right? Yes, that is. Uh, that's true. I spent some time in Ethiopia as a student missionary during college. I had actually trained as a nurse in college. And so I took that skill with me to a mission hospital in the western part of Ethiopia. How did that transform your life? Um, that experience in Ethiopia really set me on a course to where I am now. Uh, the hospital I was at was a rural mission hospital of the Adventist Church started in the 1940s. And at the time I was there, there were no Adventist doctors at the hospital. Wow. So I was a nurse. I was working in the operating room and teaching at the nursing school. But I observed that it was very difficult to have an Adventist hospital without any Adventist physicians. And during my time there, I actually decided to pursue medicine uh, to help contribute to uh, furthering the Adventist medical mission work. So being exposed to the low resources motivated you to at least train more and become better at helping so that you could go back to low resource uh, places and help people that uh, would otherwise not find uh, that quality of treatment, perhaps. That is, um, are there any stories that you remember from that time? What was it like, you know, a day in the life of a nurse in Ethiopia at that time? What, what was that like? Help us understand that a little more. At the beginning, I worked mostly in the operating room. So I learned how to be a circulating nurse and a scrub nurse in the operating room. I would assist with C-sections for women who are struggling in labor I would assist on other types of surgery. And then after the surgery was done, I would help to clean up the operating room, um, prepare supplies for the other surgeries that would come. And I spent a lot of time just talking to people who were mm. working in the operating room, getting to know the nurses and becoming friends with them. There was one particular nurse I became close friends with. And I remember one time when I was on call, uh, we were on call together actually. And I spent the night with her there in the hospital uh, fighting the mosquitoes. Uh, but had a really, really good time bridging the gap of cultures, learning what that looked like, and gaining skills and understanding. 
you ra you raise a really good point, which is of course it, you know going to Ethiopia from the West that must be have been a huge cultural leap. How how did you find that? It was quite different. I had never lived outside the United States, so there were a lot of adjustments that I had to go through. Uh, many of them were very enjoyable. For example, the food that I got to try in Ethiopia was really fantastic. I learned how to cook some of their local dishes mm. and was able to share that food with people that I lived with and also with other people in the town. Uh, the pace of life was very different. I was accustomed to being in the U.S. where things move very, very quickly and you're always rushing from one thing to the next. And that was not how it was in Ethiopia. And I really appreciated the time to have a slower pace and be able to actually listen for the voice of God and uh, hear his voice and see where he was working. And did you feel like you experienced culture shock or was it more gentle than that? Uh, because I was there for only a shorter period of time, I was probably there for about eight or nine months. Um, I did definitely experience some culture shock, but um, it was, I think, a little bit easier for me being so young. Everything was new and interesting. And right. so I got to uh, enjoy learning. That was probably the biggest thing for me. I really enjoyed learning about how things work there. It, it is very likely that there are people watching this who are also thinking of becoming medical missionaries somewhere in the world. Or student missionaries. Or student missionaries or, you know, they're, they're contemplating the call. Um, what would you say to them, Dr. Laurel? I would say go for it. <laughs> um, I think that my time as a student missionary in Ethiopia was one of the most formative experiences in my life. Clearly, it pretty much turned my career path 180 degrees um, to where I am now in medicine. And um, it was incredibly rewarding the depth of connection I was able to make with uh, people there, friends I actually still have to this day, and getting to see God work in a place where materialism hasn't been as prevalent. Um, I think that, you know, we as Adventists want to be people who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And Jesus Himself went to this earth and he was, you know, probably the first missionary. And so I feel like anyone who is following in his footsteps has the privilege of joining him in that work. And part of it is going outside our comfort zone. And so doing student mission work or short-term volunteer work is a wonderful way to experience that. To do what Jesus did. And he spent a long time healing, right? That was, that was part of, of, uh, many of the descriptions that we have of his life is is healing, uh, anticipating the recreation of the earth, even as he healed people then. And and to some degree, that's what we do as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We believe that one day this earth will be recreated and we will not have sick people anymore. So we do everything we can to anticipate that moment, uh, even in the middle of the old earth, and we use the best medicine we can find and the best techniques developed to heal people. And we commit all of it to Jesus, uh, who may heal without any of the other uh, ways in which we do. Um, when you studied at Loma Linda, or, or you are what the church calls a DMA. Uh, that's a deferred mission appointee, I think it means. What, what exactly does that mean? 
Yeah, so I uh, did do my medical training at Loma Linda University and the deferred mission appointee program was available to me. And I was very interested in serving internationally using my medical skills in places that needed medical help. Um, so it was a good fit for me to join that program. And basically it's set up for people who are training in medicine or dentistry who want to serve long-term uh, most of the time at one of our Adventist hospitals internationally using their skills and service to the underserved. And part of that program is uh, it's set up in a way that can help to alleviate the burden of uh, student debt. Hmm. So uh, for me, I have a fair amount of student loans from my medical training. And if I wasn't part of the DMA program, it would be difficult for me to serve internationally uh, at one of our hospitals. Right, because you'd have to immediately start repaying your loans, presumably. Yes, yes. And generally, uh, the loan payments, you know, are significant. And so really helpful with the deferred mission program, the church and Loma Linda University will help to uh, share the load of those loan payments while someone is serving internationally. So that's brilliant. It is. It's good, isn't it? And actually, the, <laughs> the General Conference has this program, the General Conference Secretariat, the Deferred Mission Appointee Program. So if there's anyone watching who's thinking of going to medical school and would like to be a missionary but thinks, you know, goodness, how will I be able to do that? They should, be, they should look into the DMA program. Would you agree with that, Laurel? Yes, yes. And specifically, uh, look into studying at Loma Linda. Now, I will say one other thing about uh, service internationally for those who are not doing medicine or dentistry, but maybe in another healthcare field, uh, there's also a global service appointee award program where people who are in physical therapy or other areas may also be able to serve and have their loans uh, repaid during that time. That's brilliant. And how long do you need to serve? Uh, that depends on a number of factors, I presume. But is it like 50 years or is it less than that? Uh, it's changed some over time, and so it, it may change again in the future. Currently, uh, for the deferred mission appointees, they generally want to have a five-year commitment at a time, and to have all of your loans paid off would take 10 years. So That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. If That's... God calls you to service, yes. you, yeah. know, you, can, you can study medicine or dentistry, then you serve for 10 years, and it, it's certainly much more meaningful than paying a bank somewhere. Yes, right. yeah, absolutely. That's, I didn't know about this program at all. Uh, actually, it was founded in the 1930s. As early as the 1930s, the church was hearing from Loma Linda graduates, we'd like to serve in the mission field, but we can't because of financial exigencies. So actually, this program has been around a while, but it's great that it's still there. Um, and it's wonderful that Laurel has been able to take advantage of it. Laurel, tell us about your studies at Loma Linda. What did you, how, how did that work out? You decided after being a nurse in Ethiopia, you wanted to be a doctor. So you applied, I take it, when you got back home to Loma Linda. How did things work out? Tell us about your time as a student at Loma Linda. Yes, I did my uh, medical school at Loma Linda and I really enjoyed the time. Uh, I was able to do some international uh, service as part of my uh, training at Loma Linda, which is one of the benefits of studying at a school like Loma Linda that really values this aspect of service. Uh, towards the end of my time in medical school, I was trying to decide what, what, what am I gonna do? <laughs> and there's a lot of options for specialization and I had a very difficult time making a decision. But the, 
the things that I took into consideration really revolved around what would be useful for mission service, uh-huh. what would be helpful for medical missions. And eventually uh, it, it seemed like general surgery was going to be the best thing. And so that's what I did. I applied for general surgery and I uh, did my general surgery residency program at Loma Linda. What does that mean, a residency program? So after someone finishes medical school, they have completed basically the book learning and part of the practical learning for becoming a doctor. Uh, But in the U.S., uh, in order to practice as a physician, you must be licensed and in general have a specialization training. So it can be anywhere from three to seven years of additional training where you're receiving a stipend, but really learning at the time, you know, while you're uh, doing this uh, service. So for me, it was five years of residency training, uh, long hours, but very rewarding and a lot of learning. So just say again, how many years it took you just for the residency? Five years. Five years. And, and five for the book learning that you described, which is your, your medical, <laughs> medical school. Medical school is four years. Four years. So we're, we're, we're mounting up to nine years. <laughs> right. And then, but you're, you've also gone beyond the residency in general surgery, haven't you, Laurel? Tell us a bit more. Yes. Uh, towards the end of my training in general surgery, I started to consider if I would want to have some subspecialty training. In the U.S. right now, that's a, a frequent occurrence that people will pursue additional training. And again, I was thinking, well, how is this going to impact my desire to do medical mission service? And so uh, as I was sorting through the options of fellowships, this is what it's called when you do a subspecialization after residency, you do a fellowship. Uh, Surgical oncology came up as something that would expand my skill set, not narrow it, but give me additional skill sets, which could also be used in uh, a mission setting, a place with low resources. One of the things that uh, encouraged me to do that was actually spending time in Malawi during my residency program. Uh I was able to rotate to Malawi and spent uh, about four months there during my residency program. And I recognized that there were a lot of cancer cases there. And then it made sense, well, cancer surgery can be helpful in this environment. And I can contribute something where there are not a lot of other resources to treat cancer, but surgery, I can do that to help with this problem here. So I am currently in my fellowship training program in surgical oncology. I'll be finished very soon in the next couple of months, God will, God willing. So did you serve at Malamulu Hospital when you were in Malawi? Yes, that's where I was. Yeah, one of the great historic Adventist uh, mission hospitals actually founded well over a, almost 120 years ago. So it's, it's wonderful that Loma Linda actually gave you the opportunity of working in the mission field even while you were during your, your residency. I guess that's one of the things that makes Loma Linda unique. It is. They were one of the first places, if not the first, to have a scheduled international rotation as part of the general surgery residency program. And your fellowship, how long has that taken you? The fellowship is two years for surgical oncology. And I'm grateful. Actually, I was able to spend time in Malawi during my fellowship also. So you've become quite familiar with Africa. Yes. Is is that where you're planning to go? What happens after you're finished? (laughs) That's a really good question. Only God knows for sure. But as part of the deferred mission appointee program, I will most likely be serving in Africa long term when I'm finished. Do you have any say where you go or will you just be assigned a place? 
I do have some say. So normally, uh, not patients, but people who are in the deferred admission program, uh, when they finish their residency program or close to the end of their training program, uh, they'll have discussions with the GC and with uh, Loma Linda about hospitals that need physicians or need surgeons or places that need dentists or other professionals. And so there will be a discussion about the various options and places that need help. And then uh, the DMA will be able to decide where would be best for them. So Laurel, I'm just imagining that surgical oncology, I'm I'm not a a medical person here, but I'm guessing that that requires some pretty high-tech surgical centers, um, a lot of support. Maybe it's not going to be something that you're going to be able to do in every mission hospital around the world. Is, is, is that, are you going to have much chance to use the oncology, do you think? That's a really good question. And it does certainly depend on where I would be working. Some places have more resources than others. Um, but it's my belief that even if I'm not using the full range of my capacity, I can contribute to improving the care in a country and over time, hopefully build capacity for cancer care in the places where I'm serving. And Malamulo presumably did have surgical oncology or you wouldn't have rotated there. Uh, So the time I spent there in residency program, they had general surgeons. So I was doing my um, general surgery uh, at that time. In fellowship, I spent research time there. So uh, Uh it was a little bit of a different situation. Dr. Laurel, I'm I'm trying to think through because this is the first time that we're meeting here. I hope one day we can meet in person. But I'm looking at your story for the first time, and your great-grandfather was a missionary, your grandfather, your whole family up until now, and every choice you made about what you wanted to study and, and work through, because all of that is difficult, you decided to put mission first and put the, the needs of the mission field uh, before your own. Did you ever doubt this at mm. all? Did you ever come mm. to a moment and you're like, ah, no, forget this, I'm going to go make money? or whatever else you've got that people do generally, did you ever doubt this calling or is this something that it's just very natural for you? That is a really great question. And I think even in the last year, I've been through some of those thought processes. When you get to the end of a training program like this, there are a lot of people that want to recruit you to work in very lucrative positions. And so it is very tempting to want to take those sort of positions And there's all sorts of benefits to working in a place like that for your skills, for, um, you know, paying off your loans, maybe even quicker than you would if you were going overseas. And then, you know, there's mission needs also in the U.S. There are places that don't have enough doctors, even though we have a lot. (laughs) Uh, So I have certainly had to think through those things. I think one thing that has helped me to maintain focus is the continued engagement internationally and reminding myself of the magnitude of the needs overseas. And then looking back at how God has led me over time and seeing how he has really miraculously opened doors for me and done things which would seem kind of impossible. He's made his hand very clear in my life. And even the decision now in the past year or so where I have decided to not take a full-time job in the U.S., but have decided to fulfill my DMA commitment, uh, God has made it clear that he's with me on that journey. And 
um, I, the one verse that came to mind uh, right around the time that I made the decision that I was not going to pursue jobs in the U.S. is from Exodus. I think it's chapter 33. Moses is having a conversation with God about the children of Israel going up uh, on this long journey. And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Mm. And I was so encouraged by that thought that God is going with us. He will give us rest. He is walking with us. We're not alone. And when we are with him, we're safe. If, if I hear you correctly, or my understanding of, of your experience, it seems to me that you have your eyes open to the needs of the world. But the key point for you is your vertical relationship. It's your relationship to God. It is God who's called you and opened his doors and made his will known to you across you know, the, the, a long period of time. And so your commitment to him, your love for him, uh, is uh, the guiding force in what you will do next. And I suppose that makes sense because if you, you know, if, if you're going to, uh, let's say, perform surgery on somebody that has, uh, I presume, colon cancer, and you will bring healing to them, uh, you're saving a life here or you're saving a life there. And, and that's, you know, that's the saving of a life. It, it's not, you know, and maybe there is resources here that this person will be able to pay for it. And where you're going, the people cannot pay for it, let's say. So there is a difference from that perspective. Uh, but in the end, that's a life that, that is saved. Um, so, you know, from the perspective of you're making a difference to other people's lives, it will be a similar uh, scenario. But because of your relationship to God and your belief that God has called you and made his, his you know, and this call clear to you, uh, that's what determines your next steps. Is this, would this constitute a guiding principle that you would suggest for other uh, people that are in a similar position, whether to choose to go into the mission field or not? I think so. You know, I think the most important thing that anyone can do is ensure that their heart is given to God. When God has our heart, he can use us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. Uh, he is the one who is doing the work all throughout this world. He is the one who does healing. Even for us in medicine, we're not actually the hmm. ones doing the healing. It's his hands. <laughs> so um, I think the most important thing we can do is give our hearts to Jesus. And when he has our hearts, then he can use us in his service. And we will be open to following him wherever he leads, even if it's uncomfortable or difficult or not making a lot of money when we could be are all of these things. Jesus is the most important thing. And when we follow him, we'll be happy. When you were describing what you were just saying, I, the, the, the image of a surgeon to me is, is, you know, so I imagine Dr. Laurel with her hands yes. like this and other people are dressing and all of that, uh, that happens uh, around the surgery. Do you ever think about your hands being Jesus's hands in those moments? Or is it, how, how do you process that uh, while you are performing surgery and preparing for it? It's Jesus's hands that you are looking at and, and you are being used by him to bring healing. Tell me more about that. I often think about how Jesus works with us, especially in medicine. And for me in cancer surgery, dealing with people who are often at the end of their lives, thinking about how Jesus is already at work with them and I get to see what he's doing. 
And I do frequently pray for his help as I'm doing operations or talking to people, uh, telling them what the plan is or wondering what the plan should be. What should we be doing for this patient? I think one other thing that comes to mind is a harder thing. So doing surgery is a technical uh, process. You know, you learn skills, you practice them, you get better and you perform surgery. What's harder is to love people. Mm. And as a physician, true healing comes when the love of God comes through the physician to reach the person. And I, through my training, have realized I can't really love people. <laughs> so that is something I need daily from God to put his love in my heart to share with the people around me. That's a fantastic testimony, Laurel. Thank you for that. Just looking ahead, you've done 11 years of training now, 11 years, um, longer than J Jacob worked for Rachel, um, <laughs> almost as long as he worked for both Rachel and Leah, and you've got another potentially 10 years ahead of you. Does it seem like too long? I think I know the answer based on what you've just been saying to us, but is, does it seem like too long or does it seem like you're on the, it's, it's about the right amount? I'm, it's a long time. It is really a long time. I've spent a decade of my life, more than a decade, uh, training, you know, to do this job that I'm about to start. Uh, but I view even the training as a, an opportunity for service. So I feel like I haven't been putting anything off per se, but I pray that God has been able to use me during even my training uh, in his service to bring healing and hope to people. And I think, you know, this world, anything could happen. Who knows what's going to happen in two years or five or 10. And at some point, we're not going to be here anymore. And so I want every day to be used for the service of God. Dr. Laurel Guthrie, we often talk to historians who reflect on the past life of missionaries. Today, we had the privilege of talking to you, a future missionary. And uh, a past missionary. And too. a past missionary, too, who is, who is this uh, long-standing family uh, that is dedicated to putting others first. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, and, and God bless with you. God bless you as you prepare for future mission service as well. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining. I'm sure you will play, pray for Dr. Laurel and the decisions of where she will go and the people that she will be the hands and, and feet of Jesus to in her work as a surgeon. Uh, thank you for joining Mission 150. Thank you for sharing the links. The podcast is being listened to every week by more and more people. We thank you for that. We, uh, we pray that you will keep watching on AdventistReview.tv on the Seventh-day Adventist Church's YouTube channel or listening on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. If you want to know more about Adventist missionary work and missionaries today, go to AdventistMission.org. That's AdventistMission.org. And if you want to find mission opportunities today, go to VividFaith.com. We'll be back next week with more on the inspiring history of Adventist mission around the world. Mm -hmm.